Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions, hosted by Bruce Duff, author of The Smell of Death, musician, producer, and artist manager. The conversations are recorded at Tone Duff Studio in Hollywood, California, and are a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Welcome to the Tone Duff Sessions. We're here with Steve Blush and Tony Mann. Uh, they are in town in Los Angeles, these two New Yorkers, um, doing a promotional tour for their book, New York Rock, and we're here to talk about that and all kinds of, all kinds of things. Um, should let you guys know, a lot of people that tune into this because my book publisher puts it out are writers and people trying to get a foot up, you know, getting their books out and the mysteries of how you get things published and that kind of stuff. Nuts and bolts things besides just the topic of the book. Kind of what I want to talk about too. Uh, and just to dive in, uh, Tony, uh, you're listed Hi. as the, uh, uh, what is your, uh, you're the contributing editor. I'm so what does that exactly editor. mean in a book like New York Rock? What was your job? Okay, so some of the things I've been doing and some of the things I did for the book, um, conducting interviews, transcribing, uh, talent coordination. I know a lot of these people, or if I don't, I approach them, get some of the people to take part in this, photo research, kind of all, all, all those things and uh, more. Okay, well, it's a lot of stuff. And for people who haven't seen the book or looked at it, it's, it's an encyclopedia. It's over 400 pages. It goes all the way back to Tin Pan Alley and George Gershwin and quickly gets through that. But it's mainly uh, Velvet Underground through when they shuttered CBGBs. That's right. And it's a lot of stuff. And it really t gives you a different eye view uh, right in the center of the hurricane of, of the whole New York scene. I, I'm still clawing my way through it. I'm about four-fifths through. I love the book. I think it's great. Uh, and I noticed when I was reading it, you know, that you guys will explain something and then there's like a little oral history on whatever that facet is. And you'll see that the quotes come from generations. Like, how did you actually gather all that stuff? Well, um, it, it kind of followed a little bit of the roadmap of what I did with the book American Hardcore, which is an oral history with, with interspersed with dialogue. And... Um, I, there's about was there about fifteen hundred sources in the book. Yeah. Now, don't forget, I had a long journalism career and publishing career, so I would say probably about a third of uh, them came from that. I conducted well over a hundred, hundred, hundred fifty interviews over the a few years. I uh, and then a lot of people were dead or unreachable, and I found really solid secondary sources. Yeah. And a lot I, of this is new, uh, new content. Well, yeah, I could tell that, but then a lot of it was like <coughs> stuff that it seemed like you had done right, well, some instance, significant research. Yeah, right? I, I really, I mean, this was originally a one thousand page tome that I cut in half, so you could only. Oh, really? I mean, there's a whole. There's another book that I could yeah. release from this if I wanted to. That's a thousand page of text. Yeah. Wowzer. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah. uh, I really have a, yeah. like for instance, when you read those introductory chapters where I'm just New York Rock, of course, is like we said, from the rise of the Velvet Underground to the fall of CBGBs, this kind of subculture that existed downtown New York, which was artists and poets and uh, other creative types making rock music, which was a very new thing. So it was almost like art. It was art theory. And it was like theory and concepts applied to music. So often it wasn't uh, really tuneful music. You know, it was... So, um, but getting back to it, it was I... I uh, knew so many of these people from being in New York, being on the scene, being a journalist, 
uh, being a DJ in clubs. And you promoted shows. Promoted shows, so many, you know, so I really have always been kind of in the background, so mm -hmm. to speak, and I have incredible information just from what I've know from behind the scenes. So to be able to incorporate that into the history and then turn it into a narrative was was quite a challenge, but I think I, I th it's definitely the bu best book I've ever written, I mean, for sure. Yeah, I'd like to say something real quick too. Uh, you know, I've kind of become a face of this and attached to Steve, and I'm basically Steve's assistant or right-hand man or whatever you want to say, but I've known Steve for years. He used to book my bands, my friends' bands, support all the bands, promote all the bands, promote the whole scene, promote the culture for years. His whole life, all the time I've known him. So what happened is uh, uh, when he started this book almost 10 years ago, uh, we were talking and my bands were playing you know, his nights and things like that and he's saying hey you know it, this kind of started almost as like a discography and like every New York uh, recording ever officially issued and all the lineups of the Brats or whatever band right and he I was kind of like almost a fact checker he would bounce some ideas off of informally and saying hey you know who was in the Brats what, what's this lineup and, I'd say, I'll just call the guy, I know him, so I personally know and have been around these people, or if I don't, I'll just approach him, I, I don't, I don't I have right. a problem with that. And uh, so we've worked more and more intensely, and then I went on the tour with him when he did the, the American Hardcore, which he totally rewrote the book, not just added pages, he just redid the book. We we toured with that and had panel discussions. And helped kind of. But you mean along. the reissue has is yeah. a different text? Because oh, I got yeah. I've got that which from which I think is the first That's edition. The first one That's edition. the first one. So oh. he he didn't just add some pages. He like of course redid the whole thing. And I've been around this guy's work ethic, and he's already written enough for ten men. Okay, the guy works day and night, and I just want to say he's like kind of taking me under his wing. We did a thing with the Lost Rockers that you're We're familiar about. We're gonna get to about. that for sure. And so you know. What happened is basically, you know, I've got another career because of Steven and we work together really well. We get a lot done. We set goals. We do it. And people have been responding great. And we're really out there pitching this and we're the ones doing it. You know, we're not really getting much, much help. Well, I want to ask about that, too. I, I know when I ran into you last night, you were saying that, I mean, this is a, correct me if I'm wrong, but this book is on a bigger publishing company than you've been with previously. Mm -hmm. So, as a writer who's experienced things from your own publishing, you know, seconds for years, and then being with Farrell House and now being with St. Martin's, what's the difference? What do you notice as you move through those different ranks? Um, that's a very, that's a really good question. It um, is. <laughs> I think uh, my, I, I always stuck with my guts about who I was going to work with, and I always kept it really close to the underground. And I went with a bigger company, and they created a beautiful book and a really solidly edited book, but I don't think they know. I feel like I'm like some rock band on MCA Records in 1987. They don't get it. They don't well, get that's it. interesting because uh, when I, and I'll give you guys a copy later, when I wrote my book oh, great. ages ago, yeah. uh, the first people that I was referred to was St. Martin's, mm -hmm. and probably the same guy. I, trying to think of his name Jim Fitzgerald does that mm -hmm. sound right yes he was there then and you know he's 
his basic comment was, your book is great, you really know how to write, no one knows who these people are, it won't sell. Mm -hmm. And so I threw it into a closet for 20 years and then that story unraveled in another way. Okay. Uh, thanks to Rare Bird, yay. But um, okay. it, it seemed like relate. even we at that relate. time, they were the place you would go if yeah. you had a cool music mm -hmm. book. So I would think if anyone understood what you're up to, it would be them. Yeah, well, I'm not like out to bag on them, but I just, I just kind of don't really know why they signed me. I don't. I think they wanted to see if they could throw something against the wall that was like the next "Please Kill Me." Yeah. We well, that's been, something we really I, you see a, that in a few, quite yeah, a few that, books. That's, that's, yeah. that's not our choice or and not his choice. As you for said, the cover. I have George Gershwin in my book. This is not. Yeah. It's, it's just not that. I, I pled with them. I was like, yeah. please. I was like, I was like in the seven late seventies. They used to give bands airbrushed album covers. I'm right. Like, don't give me like the last airbrushed album cover. I don't want the last punk rock cover. I'm not even. I mean, I, I mean, but I do you think the way it's presented misleads people yeah, as to what does. they're going to get? You well, think so? All, it all, does. Well, the only way, the only reason I say that, well, first of all, it's a good marketing niche. I'm not arguing sure. with that. But I've had to deal with blowback, so I know, like people. Are you saying, mean from people in the book? No, from people no. like, like, oh, that book looks like Please Kill Me. You know, this like is a, like a knockoff. You guys are ripping off. Please kill me. Yeah, oh, I see. And, just uh, from and, the way and, the cover. And looks. hey, look, yeah. we've been able to do this without the superstar. Not that we don't like those people. They're all my friends. Whatever. We know those people. We, I made clothes for Joey Ramone. I, I know Debbie Harry. We know these people. That David Johansson. We, it's not that we're not fans or think they're great or whatever. It's just that that kind of made it look like it was a knockoff of Please Kill Me, which it's nothing like that. And as you see, we're not trying to exploit famous people and all this horseshit. You were there last night at Book Soup, and you saw the people that are there that are main people in the scene of Paul Zone, Christian Hoffman, Howie Pyro, Rick Fox, you know, uh, uh, Tom Five, people from all different walks, and are all very influential people. And we've been able to make a big groundswell with all these people, and we're embracing the community and the culture. And we're not a gatekeeper that, oh, we're cooler than you and this type of thing. You know, we're like, all these people are part of this scene, like, come be part of it and celebrate it. And some people don't get, when I've talked to them, you know, I call someone who maybe nobody else is talking about. No one's, they maybe haven't been more than name checked in a book. We want to interview them. This, this is the history of New York rock. Uh, you don't get it? You don't want to be part of that? Okay, but you are part of it. Come on. It's very weird sometimes. And the other people are like, wow, I'm in the book because these people are on the cover. I didn't think I could be in that. I'm like, well, of course you're on the scene. So it's kind of, yeah, you, and, you and, saw what it was like as yeah. a community thing last night. That's what it's like. But I, 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 I will say I get it. You know, you want to put stuff that people recognize. Sure. Oh, I'm interested in this. Whereas sure. if it's like the guys sure. that were at, yeah. the very deserving people that were at your panel, if they were on the cover, people might just well, go, well, what's I, this? I, I would just tell you that I, uh, when I did American Hardcore, I did it with Feral House because I had had a very bad experience with another big publisher who wanted to sign that book. And when it got to the top, the guy at the top was like, the, the American Hardcore story, which is like the story mm -hmm. of Black Flag and sure. bands like that for people who don't know. Um, they, the first thing they said to me is, where's Debbie Harry? You know, and uh, I knew I couldn't be there. Yeah. And I have my cover with the bloody face by Edward Culver, yeah, yeah. classic. Uh, that book is a generational book. It's like, you know, um, it's, it's like... Well, yeah, and it came out right around the same time as Lords of Chaos. So obviously yeah. Feral House has a sweet spot for these kind yeah. of like underground yeah. crazy stories. Mm -hmm. you know? Look, fair, fair enough for um, uh, someone who's a business person to, as marketing, say put this on and make it this is a 
kind of maybe like this type of book and generalize, but they don't know all the little minute details and minutiae and inner fighting and pecking order and all the mountain of bullshit that goes with this. It's just just like some cool scene everybody gets along. I, I, my my point was anyway. really about it was is that I really did, I was really okay with losing my battle about the cover if they were hard going to promote it heavily. Yeah. Sure. And I got thrown in the back, you know. I got a couple... I would have sold ten books without them. I have a very solid selling book right now, and it's all because of me. It's all because of stuff like me being here. Yeah, and we... Because I'm really on the road, like, working my... So, day. we really bonded together. And, and the fact that, that they are in... I could, you could yeah. Because it's St. Martin's Press, and you could buy it in every store... The distribution is um, great. It's doing okay, and yeah. it's selling, but... It's like I came out to L.A. today and half the people were saying to me, like, why didn't I know about this book mm -hmm. while they're buying it? And I'm like, well, that's the problem, you know, because yeah. if, I'm get, if I'm generating 80% of the press and 90% of the events yeah. and, you know, it's almost like embarrassing at a certain point, you know, I'm like, here's a picture of me and Rodney Bingenheimer. Here's like yeah. the big, the great crowd at the New York Public Library. Like, here's like... Well, you know, I have cool to say, event at the book soup. I mean, it's yeah. it's like people are like into it. Yeah, I hear this story a lot. And and to be honest, uh, Rare Bird, God yeah. bless him, uh, sort of got going as uh, a company that was doing marketing mm -hmm. for other books. And then sure. eventually people were like, hey, will you put out mine thing? And they sort of became a publisher. Mm -hmm. They did become a publisher. And, uh, you know, so from my point of view, and everyone was telling me, like, this company knows how to market. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in good hands. Like, great. Okay. And, but same but, thing. But you know, I ended not, up doing yeah. most of it myself. Mm -hmm. I hired a publicist. Right, right. I set up, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, book signings yeah, and all course, that kind of Right, but they're, they're not going to schedule um, an art gallery show of rock artists that are in the book with a live concert yeah, opening exactly what I'm with saying. Walter Stedding and Ross the Boss playing at the closing, and they're not going to schedule a concert with David Peel and 10 great bands. And Long we've done some yeah. insane events that Well, so you guys results. get that stuff happening just yeah. like yeah. last night, but yeah. do they help you get the booking and then you put the event together? No. You even get the, you even call up Book yeah, Soup. They, and say, they actually hey. told me, uh, you can't just call up a store. All I know is I've been to, I've been to Book Soup three times between. Mm -hmm. My Feral House books and, and this book, I how do you think we I we've, we're just doing cold calls. We're out there doing it at the Art on A Gallery in East Village. We sold two hundred books in two hours. Yeah. Okay, there's people are lined up the whole block. It was like mayhem. And then okay, so you set that up just out of curiosity. How do you then get the word about it? Word out about it just, happening. Just because word of mouth, word of mouth, and really it the really community. Really well, sure, okay. We're Great. trying to rebuild the culture of these people that feel pretty disenfranchised from today's music and media and all this horseshit. But they do matter, and they did help create what is today and all this stuff. But you know, these people seem so, you know, rewarded by that they're in the book and they're part of this. But you are part of it. Come out and celebrate with us. We're not like some gatekeeper. We represent. Steve's always repped these people, promoted them. We're not. It's not adversarial. We're like, come on. No, I more, think more, that more, would be more and more. I feel like like Black Flag. Like you're mm -hmm. just doing these like underground tours and building a groundswell. And you know, I certainly, my life was changed by seeing that band when I was 19 and having Chuck Dukowski and Greg Ginn talk to me about success in non-economic terms and. They definitely led the way. I mean, they're yeah. in so many ways American 
indie rock yeah. would have a different face if it weren't for them. Yeah, they they invented DIY in, totally. I mean, but, in terms of how we see it, and and that's the path I'm following. That's the only that's the only thing I used to do. Which anytime I find I've been finding that anytime I veer away from what I'm really good at, which is this kind of like, you know, uh, right below a minus kind of stuff. Um, as opposed to like worrying about uh, the Rolling, I never get the Rolling Stone article. You know, I, I go for it. I, I just don't, never get it. I do get all the cool ones. You hit kind of a nerve because uh, my wife was digging up all the. I, I don't want to make this utter, utterly yeah. depressing at yeah, the yeah. moment. But uh, my wife was digging up all this stuff today because today mm -hmm. is the anniversary of Roz Williams hanging himself. Oh, wow, okay. And sure. at the time, I was at Triple yeah, X, and yeah, it was like, yeah. she shows me NME, Rolling yeah, Stone, yeah. MTV, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, you know, between him, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Ritter, a lot of these guys, sure. I had to talk to the press about dying. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get them in those things when they were like, turning out bitchin' records, like, sure, cover sure, the music. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right and on. they would've loved that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, okay, well maybe this'll send people to buy it we all know posthumously, the, we all know that's bullshit. The, the cult of death attraction and all that stuff, we, we know all But, you know, it, it's, you know, there's a certain, um, this is Tony, kind of a Tony was thing. using the word gatekeeper before, and I think you kind of see that's how the entertainment business works. It's kind of like, there's people who are too big, and there's most people who are not getting their due. You know, and that's pretty much how it works. Yeah. Um, somebody, you know, somebody I was listening to was uh, in the music business, and he said, or was in the music business. He goes, ah, "I'm not in the music business anymore. That's a rich man's game." Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about that. And I'm like, maybe he's right. You know, maybe like all this underground stuff, you know, doesn't. While it 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 gestates to the top often you are really in a kind of a fuck position because you you know by like not playing the game you aren't in the game you know? I see what you're saying I, I will say uh, you know you guys obviously deep in this story yeah. personally yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. reading the book man it was like for people who haven't read it yet it, it, each chapter each section about a different scene style time starts off with like what causes it to happen, what the music's about, where you would go see it, and then it goes through like uh, like an unbelievable list of artists that did whatever it is they're talking about. And I would find bands that like, and I would recognize people's names in some of the bands. I'm like, wow, this is getting deep into stuff I've never heard of. And I, you know, I'm gonna go mm -hmm. start digging some of this stuff up just based on what I read, mm -hmm. that I'm sure I'll like it based on how it's described. Sure. And I think from that point of view, <clears throat> this is a tremendous service to the scene, you know, mm -hmm. said like the whole history of the music. Yeah, I mean, I would never, all the things we're talking about, like, kind of like down on the business kind of stuff, I mean, I'm never wavering from this, this presentation that you're talking about. Yeah, and this is our lifestyle. I mean, this, is, this is how my books will always read. You know, it's like, <clears throat> there's a real connection. You could read American Hardcore and then read New York Rock. Oh, yeah. And <clears throat> there's there's definitely a style, it's a different style, it's... It's a little offbeat. It's very intense. It's very musicological. It's very like respectful. You know, I'm not looking for dirt. You know, and it, it certainly makes you feel like uh, you were there, mm -hmm. even if you weren't. Yeah, you know, I wasn't there. I was here. Yeah, and uh, you know, getting 
stuck in the middle of that scene uh, is really is really interesting. And it, it took so many rewrites of the chapters oh. from before me to be able to talk about it in the way that to have a command of the subject. Well, I was wondering about that. I mean, in real time, you, you both can answer this if, if your answers are different. When did you actually feel as if you were a participant in the scene? Like, what, what section in the book, what section in the history are you guys actually on the scene yourselves? Um, well, my father and grandfather worked in the Lower East Side. So, I, like, every weekend of my life, I was basically around the corner from CBGB's. So I was, uh, my consciousness is basically mid-70s, mid-late 70s, uh, walking around uh, the awful East Lower East Side and East Village. Um, so, but, and I had a high school girlfriend whose brother and sisters were so hip that they had Joy Division tickets before Ann Curtis died, like they right. had the advanced tickets, so that late, set, like 70, 78, 79, 79, 80. So who would have been a band that you would have, like, oh, so-and-so's playing tonight, I gotta go? Well, like I don't think it was like that, but it was more like, I got the new seven-inch single by this English band, Gang of Four, and I saw, like, like seeing their first American tour, and the or the I saw their first American shows, definitely. I saw Psychedelic First, first American shows. But who was a New York band that you got on board? Um, with well, actually, the first kid. first show I ever saw was um, in New York was um, at CBGB's, and I want to say it was like, I want to say it was The Shirts or somebody like that. You know, like, like just, like, whoever, like, was the band, because I couldn't go out to, like, my dad worked late, but these bands would sometimes go on at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock. So that's like the first stuff I saw. But uh, the first real shows I saw in New York, um, well, you know, the first shows I was seeing in New York, I guess I saw the Ramones and I saw, Okay. Uh, well, the first one I really saw was the Dictators. I saw the Dictators open for Blue Oyster Cult. That's and, a great show. And uh, I, that was a real life-changing moment for me because I, of course I came for Blue Oyster Cult. And um, I sat outside for like an hour waiting for an autograph. And two of the guys from the dictators were outside, uh, Andy Chernoff and uh, Richie Teeter. And they were making fun of us, kind of. You know, we were like these little kids, 14 or something, and they uh, signed our they signed our Blue Oyster Cult records like Fuck Darba. <laughs> and well, I didn't even get it when they did it. And then I remember, and this will always be etched in my mind, standing there, Eric Bloom and Buck Darma just blow right by me. Like these like little short guys just blow right by me and jump into their limo and walk away. And I walked away from that show going, the warm-up band talked to me. That no, nobody liked the warm-up band. No, of course... I should say, everyone hated this opening band. It was like a big fat guy singer in and, and sequins and a, a big afro throwing white castles at the, you know, at the crowd. And it was like, didn't go over well. But yet, I walked out of that show thinking that the warm-up band was cool and the, the opening bands were lame. And I think that was kind of my track. And then, you know, I'd see the posters all the time downtown and we'd get the New York Times on Sunday, so I'd read about 
you know, Patti Smith or mm-hmm. that the, the Lou Reed song was about uh, S&M, you know, Venus on Furs, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. Um, but most of the bands that I saw were the way the clubs worked in New York. I wasn't really going to CB's. I mean, I was a little young for that. And I went to Max's once and I saw the Contortions. That's uh, cool. Pro- probably about 79. And yeah. that kind of, that really blew my mind. I can imagine. That was a real, like, kind of life changer, too. But a lot of the bands were English, because that's, if you remember, that's kind of how it was then. It yeah, was, yeah. It was and, a big um, deal. Yeah, so the New York bands were kind of the opening bands for the British bands. Okay. So, yeah. you know, I, I can't say the band, but if you mention the band, I probably saw them. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and then I moved to Washington, D.C., for college and uh we had this the original 930 club and you would get these same bands that were playing like at the dance interior peppermint lounge of course it's the coming next day. down yeah and it would be like the cheap show you know, because basically they the bands would get wildly overpaid to come to these kind of mafia owned di- rock discos as they were called then like dance interior the peppermint lounge mm-hmm. or the ritz or you know like one of these kind of places um, so they'd come down for a couple hundred dollars and play New York. So, you know, I saw U2's first show. I saw Echo and the Buddymen's first show. I saw, like, any band, you know, Bauhaus's first tour, Birthday Party's first tour. You know, like, whoever was coming through, I saw all that stuff. You know, I, I had all the records. I was, like, I was always, like, at those stores, those three, four stores around St. Mark's Place in New York mm-hmm. or the two or three stores in D.C., and I read every British magazine, and then, <clears throat> you know, around then the American thing happened. Um, eighty, you know, eighty Valentine's Day eighty one. I saw the first Black Flag tour, uh, Valentine's Day Massacre. They called it at the original nine thirty, and SOA with Henry Rollins opened, and the original DC Youth Brigade opened, and. <clears throat> That was the first time I really saw American punk that related to me. Um, like, I didn't know that Bauhaus was an art movement. You know, right, I, didn't, sure. I, didn't, I didn't go to art school. I didn't really understand all that. But, but Black Flag was like somebody who could have been my neighbor, you know, growing up. Because although I was in New York, I was, grew up in New Jersey. <clears throat> so I had that kind of safety of, and weirdness of the suburbs. So <clears throat> that was... You know them, uh, Black Flag, Circle Jerks. You know, it, you know, saw decline and fall. You know, that was the big one because, you know how it was. You couldn't um, those records. I mean, you could say Black Flag came out in 1978, but that those records didn't make it out east to like '81. Really? Yeah. You know, okay, 80, I didn't know that. '81. I mean, like Germ singles, like those didn't. I mean, maybe they were at the stores. I didn't see them. You know, I heard the Germs album. Okay. Like Howie said, he went to L.A., and that's the only reason he heard. Well, that's interesting, because, you know, being here, that stuff was pretty readily available. But I grew up in Riverside, and uh, I happened to live across the street from this club that had a Tuesday New Wave Night. Okay. And, you know, I saw, you know, Black Flag with Keith on New Wave Night. Sure. And that kind of stuff. So I saw a lot of the bands, and the records did seem to be available to us, but, yeah, definitely filtering through, even from... L.A. to Riverside, some sort of import, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, mm-hmm. go through line to Network. get to the record store. So, yeah, it was, was kind of weird. I grew up, like, okay, real young on the scene in music, playing, 
in bands going to shows. I saw, you know, the Who played Tommy at the Fillmore East. Okay. You know, my That's dad awesome. liked jazz, so I saw and met and knew Buddy Rich, Elvin Jones, Joe Morello, Gene Krupa, all these jazz, Tony Williams. I, my dad loved all the, Art Blakey. Was um, your dad a drummer as well? He's a musician, but and his friends were musicians. His buddy played uh, horns and trumpet for like Frank Sinatra and Elvis and, uh, and Peter Frampton, so I'd get to see all the, I saw Elvis play at the Garden, and I saw, you know, the same year I saw like Elvis, Black Sabbath, T-Rex, David Cassidy, you know, every kind like of music. Years, eight years old or ten You know, when old. I was like, you know, three, four years old, being taken to places. And, you know, I saw Academy of Music. I, I went to, like, Talking of New York bands at UNC Bloister Cult at the Academy of Music on New Year's Eve. And it was also with Teenage Lust, uh, with Harold Black, and also with uh, um, the Stooges, Rob Powerwell. A new band was on the bill called Kiss, and it was the first day that they had their love. Kiss and the Stooges played together? Yes, on New Year's Eve. And the Kiss bought their way onto the bill, and they had Bill O'Coin gave them the lighted Kiss sign. That was the first show. And, uh, you know, that just burned into your retinas. Everybody there could just see Kiss inside their head while all this was taken place. Like, this is the raw power. This is the Oyster Cult. All great bands. Teenage Lust. Great everything. And, uh, you know, it just shows the whole mix of music. And I grew up seeing the huge bands and the not-so-huge bands all on the same night. Sometimes I'd go to CB's and see some little band in Hilly Crystal would give me tickets go to Central Park and see Bob Marley because he was running these shows nobody really knew with other people in Central Park. So he'd give me tickets to go to some big show. Don't don't see this. Go see this one. Okay, thanks. And, uh, you know, so all that juxtaposition of, like, different styles and yeah a lot of big uh english influence the who zeppelin all that stuff i saw hendrix play you know i was in ah, harlem i missed I was, that one i would well, have seen that he played on a flatbed truck in harlem on harlem day and uh slappy white came out and broke chairs over people's back and mom's mabley sang and everybody loved that and big maybell mom's mabley told jokes whatever and uh and hendrix came out and played and people booed and threw tin cans at him so it's was like, that sort of towards the end? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, he was going to start doing the experience again, but it, it was. Uh, it was um, Mitch, but it was Billy, Billy. Cox. Yeah, that yeah. was his last band. But uh, and then so in New York, like say in the East Village, and my my uncle, I've lived in Lower East Side now twenty years, but and that's changed a lot. But when I was a kid, and in the sixties and seventies, my uncle lived ne- right next door in Lower East Side to where I live now, and uh, you know. You'd see everybody there, you know, buying dope for one thing, and you'd see everybody there, of every class, every whatever, and you'd see Johnny Thunders, you'd see Phil from Thin Lizzy, you'd see all these guys that lived in the East Village. Some of them were superstars, some of them were like, you know, kind of local guys. Like Humble Pie would play a lot, you know, would just show up at the end of a night and play, you know, people would just get up and play and jam. Steve Paul scene, you know, and then mingle with the the British guys. You know, that was a big influence, I agree. But, um, you know, what happened is uh, I look at it like, you know, it seemed like so unified but separately. And, like, all this stuff was going on at the same time. You take of it what you will. A lot of people are, I guess, a lot more open-minded about their tastes now. Like, everybody before, a lot of of them would be, I only like this band and that's it. Like, not even this kind of music, like this band only. And, you know, there wasn't wasn't a lot of love out there sometimes, you know, if you had long hair and you're at this other show, if you had short hair, you're at this other right, show. Right, Now it's like, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, 
saw a lot of changes, but a lot of it's coming back around in some cool way. And I think um, people now that we're really working all this stuff, and it, once they get into it, they love it because they realize like we're with them. You know, you were in this scene, and right. uh, we we're not like some guy taking facts out of a book and writing a book. Sure, yeah. like this I mean, incredible amount of work and research. Well, and, that you know, it's pretty obvious, and it's you know? pretty hard to take all of that and condense it into something so something that sounds so simple yeah palatable yeah it's deep well yeah but I would say that the book is is, yeah definitely deep it it, it, like I said there was so much stuff you can as it unfolds you're learning 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 I mean I learned a lot that's very cool you know stuff I didn't know and now I want to go back and check it out one thing you said last night and that's in the book too that made me kind of think uh, which is because uh, you also mentioned you're going to dive in and do an LA book, uh, which is which is great. Uh, but one thing that you mentioned that happened uh, to the New York scene that was diametrically opposed to what happened here was the uh, onslaught of Nirvana, and that how that in a lot of ways it just sort of sucked the wind out of a lot of bands. They've changed the way they dressed and sure. just didn't seem interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just said, "Oh, fuck it." Whereas here. Nirvana was almost like a street cleaner and like all that, you know, sure. hair metal and things. Yeah. A lot of people were like, this shit's got to go. Yeah. Kind of killed it off. And a lot of bands that were sort of bubbling under, not quite getting the foothold they deserved, suddenly came to the fore. And so it okay. seemed like That's here that was a really positive thing that happened to the music scene. But huh. I just found it, and I, I always had from huh. being here the notion that this was a worldwide phenomenon that oh, right. benefited everyone right. and here to learn to New York it wasn't so great. Well, you know, if you I mean, I remember the first time hearing Mud Huddy or things like that and just and liking them, but I they did sound like New York bands. You know, they did kind of they there's a reason they did a record with Sonic Youth. They kinda of have the same Sure. Kind of the same thing going on. So there was no revolution there for me. I liked the energy. Like, I, I was a, at Seconds and stuff. I was a huge champion of all those bands. I mm-hmm. got gold records from, you know, half of them. But I uh, <clears throat> I like the energy, and I like the fact that they kind of had that black flag ethic, all of them. Sure. And um, that's what I really got out of it. But to what happened was that the industry started looking for, like, the to us at least, was kind of coming off, you know, looking for the weaker bands of what was happening. Like, they weren't interested in the noise bands. They weren't mm-hmm. really... Stuff that they could sell. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, because, you know, I, I can get that in a way because Nirvana, who were really a baby brother band to a lot of these guys, mm-hmm. came out and just happened to have this dude that was able to really spin songs that jammed into your brain. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Mostly by virtue of the uh, then then, But then, then there's the other part of it, which is key, which is you never want to be the first person doing one of these things. You want to be about That's the right. third or the fourth or the fifth. That's right. Ask Ramones or New York Dolls. Or yeah, whatever. you don't really... Because if you're the first, you don't get the money or the credit. Mm-hmm. And you have to... It takes people a while to... Dictators. So, so it That's wasn't a good point. So it wasn't going to be, I don't know, it wasn't going to be Red Cross after Neurotica, no matter how good that was. It wasn't going to be like, I, I'm, I'm, think, I'm not thinking of the right bands right mm-hmm. now. But it wasn't, no, but that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't going to be that. It was going to be like the band like five years later before you, you know, I, I was like, when Alternative Rock hit, I was, it kind of hit, it kind of surprised me because I was like, 
this is what we've been doing for like a decade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and say like, okay, say like what I said in the in the '60s, I would go see, you know, The Who or Elvis or a local band and love them all equally, whatever. And on the radio, on what the same station, you would hear Jimi Hendrix, Tiny Tim, Frank Sinatra, Blue Oyster Cult, all in a row, and they just said rock. That's it, rock. Or top forty. Because I remember here you hear the same thing yeah, yeah. in Frank Sinatra and Johnny Cash. Black Sabbath on the radio. Yeah. But but after a certain while, there's all this like marketing and buzzwords and everyone's got to be an inventor. Speed metal, death metal, black metal, blah, blah, blah. Whatever label they want to hang on it to say, these people are so revolutionary, they're doing this whole other thing. The grunge. I heard the song, I'm like, it's cool. So it, it reminds that me of Blue Oyster Cult. Like, whatever, you can call it... You know, that's just whatever. a marketing thing, it's right? It's marketing, like so, new wave, yeah, right? Right. So I don't, I don't fall. And look who they call some of the punk bands out of CBGBs. They're they're not even punk. What you think of punk stereotypes? Even the Ramones with long hair, and you know what I mean. Like there's things that are. What do I want to say? Blondie doing disco. Blondie doing disco, and yeah. you know what? Okay, there's marketing, and then there's like, like you said, is there a good song or not? But at some point. Marketing and pigeonholing things is like uh, people buy things a lot by like recommendations and things like this now instead of if they just like see it and like it or hear it and like it. Like they will have like a tastemaker arbiter telling them like this is the newest and this is that. That's all like a sales thing. If I heard the song by Mudhoney, that's a cool song. I don't even care what they want to call it. But some I think people, so some people do. Some on, people on, do. On how it gets defined though too because yeah. if you think about it, if you look at the main cities where punk came out of, if you look at New York, San Francisco, L.A., uh, London, the first five, six, seven punk bands in each of those cities were nothing like each other. All six or seven of them were completely different things. They were right. just like against the grain and sort of coming out at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, yeah, I think but then, like, you find musicians like, oh, I think I want to be in a punk band. Well, what does that mean? Right. Well, we got to, you know, play fast, cut our hair. What does and, that mean to you? Know, what does so that mean it becomes to a, defined, and then it's a thing. What does that mean to British? Is more like used it for political or other, you know, point of views than, the, you know, like Ramones that were doing a whole different take on music, sure. stripped down in the high energy in the early days of rock energy. But I'm just say I'm just trying to, being very general and broad, but I'm just trying to say that, like, the terms and the pigeonholing and marketing is one thing, and sometimes that's left like someone for someone to say later. When you're coming out and saying, I'm this, I'm an innovator, and all this shit, it's kind of a bunch of horseshit to me. I mean, that's for someone else to say, I think. So, as you guys roll into this, is the, uh, the LA book the next project? Uh, that's a long question, well, but there's, one, a, lot one of, of many there's things. a lot of things in the pipeline, <laughs> but that's, the, that's probably the next book to come out. <laughs> <clears throat> the next book to come out. Yeah. So yeah. that means you're already knee deep in it, uh, putting yeah, it together. Yeah. More yeah. than knee deep. Yeah. If I've got. Yeah. Probably about seventy, eighty thousand words of research. Holy moly. So, yeah. Um, and is it the same kind of thing? We're going back to like. Yeah. I'm not. To, I haven't really figured. I haven't figured out where it starts, starts and ends. Yeah. It's deep. I, I think it's for deep. some reason in LA you let it go on till now, with Coachella and all that. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure, but that's my, that's my hunch right now, is that. Um, they're really like New York kind of did have a beginning, middle, and end for its uh, Manhattan underground. Can we you talk know? about post I mean, I, I guess things. I guess you could end it when every when the scene moves out to Silver Lake. I don't know, but um, I don't know if that's really well. Silver Lake's still Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's not really a it's it's 
it, I, I haven't quite figured out what the parameters are, but for instance, I can't imagine telling the story without talking a little about Johnny Otis or somebody like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Man, really was, was I mean, like, that, even when I was a kid, Johnny was on the radio. Yeah. yeah. And tune it in. It was cool. Yeah. 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 And yeah. his whole his whole legacy is like insane. So it's like, how could I not include him? You know. So I'm trying to figure that out, but it's it's probably it's probably starts in the '60s. It's. I mean, I would I would say it really starts with with the Sunset Strip riots is where it kind of turns to, to something different, but. I also really want to talk about surf music and all that. Is that was a big deal. A lot of kids learn how to play guitar behind it. And, and mm -hmm. one thing that I've learned about surf music is now that I've found those, you know, 200 bands from Southern California and found their tracks and written a little about them. Um, that it was like hardcore. It was the you could easily say it was the original indie rock. Yeah, like yeah, people unconcerned with radio and I mean, look at Dig Dale. He uh, he just wanted to surf. He literally just wanted to surf and yeah. funded his lifestyle by doing a weekly concert in the same place, right. mm -hmm. Redondo Beach. Yeah, there was a place yeah. in, in Newport, and there was a place in uh, <clears throat> I forget the towns, but there was like a few of these like dance hall kind of places yeah. where they're doing the surfer stomp with you know two thousand kids, the boys sure. in Pendletons and the girls in their summer dresses, and, and you uh, had people in Middle America driving around with surfboards. You know, yeah, because landlocked people, yeah. and then there were surf. Yeah, and then there's <laughs> would they go to the lake like, or like would they just drive around the well, surfboard you know, like the, and be the, cool? The trash men were from Minnesota. Yeah, right? adventures were from Seattle. So there's like all that whole stuff too. Didn't or, matter where they or were. There were surf bands from San Francisco <laughs> yeah. or whatever. But yeah, uh, so well, I think a Fender guitar with a loud reverb, you know, was yeah. pretty irresistible oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was sure. the fuzz tone of its day. Yeah, and then of course Beatlemania put it out of business. Like, yeah, overnight. yeah. So it probably starts with probably starts with surf probably starts with early rock and roll and into surf because the art lebeau right he got i mean you gotta have johnny otis and art lebeau and don and dewey were from la yeah of course oh, that yeah. Was a kind yeah, yeah. Of a big and thing. that's 61 or something like that yeah yeah no i know all this stuff i've, I've done my research i definitely yeah. know well i'm gonna be i'm looking forward to it now also you guys got the uh the lost rockers project which mm -hmm. is yeah. pretty interesting as well now that's Ooh. been out but you're rolling the movie still correct yeah the book came out earlier last year um it's uh lost rockers it's, it's about great musicians who fell through the cracks of history this is the project um so um the book is called lost rockers broken dreams and crashed careers and it's about what it's a little that is a little bit more of like a psychological study going into like what happens of like them their emotions of like not making it it's a little it's a little more uh it's a little stinging Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. it did touches you, on raw nerves. So. I haven't read that one yet. Have you found, uh, or did you guys find, uh, like there was some sort of thread between all these people oh, like, yeah. as to why it never clicked well, for them? Well, there, there's a few. There's because there were different people. There were different reasons. Okay, but um, business not having your business in order uh, is a huge one. Uh, people got screwed by managers and record companies and mm -hmm. so is that your fault or is it yeah. their fault yeah you didn't educate yourself yeah i don't know so i just kind That's, of that seems across the board i mean how many people that did have right. hits that we all know got yeah, yeah. screwed just right. as hard but right. the reason i what i i honestly feel about all these people is that they didn't want it bad enough okay and 
you know, a lot of people we know in this business, we don't even have to name names, but you think they're kind of gross in the way they kind of go for it. But I think it takes that kind of blind ambition, that blonde, you know, yeah. Madonna called it blonde yeah. ambition. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's like, I mean, Madonna, I mean, that's all she does. I mean, that's her entire drive is just making it more. I mean, yeah. it's like, you I don't saw, ask, and, you and don't then, get. And then, sometimes. yeah, like, I, and then I saw the thing of her like last year, like breaking down on stage in Australia, like screaming for her son to come home because she's never seen him because she's touring half the time. So, um, you gotta be a, you gotta be like a, re, you gotta be kind of a prick. You gotta really want it like a hundred percent. And if you're not willing to do that, you may not make it. Uh, or and if you do, it's because you had somebody doing it for you. Like, like I've met the guys in U two just in like nightclub situations, but so I can't. Re they seem nice to me. I don't really know like how aggressive or passive aggressive or whatever they are but they've had the same manager from when they were living in ireland you know it's the same guy they've been working with with a handshake for years so they had their bulldog yeah. um if you saw that uh Led Eagle, Zeppelin had you, peter grant yeah, they had peter grant you look at that eagles documentary that was on that's great and yeah. what would what did they call did they call irving azoff satan or something like that and that's their their man, that's you their, 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 their manager. So yeah. you know, yeah. there's you know, there's a lot to that. It's like a lot of my, fr you know, you come from the underground and you're doing it for everybody else. You're not doing it for you, yeah. Right? Say, you uh, know, you're not you're not doing it for you. And if the goal is to be the biggest star in the world, you're not going to get there by doing that. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think a lot of our friends of the underground are kind of frustrated, but. I would submit after all these years of kind of like banging my head about these kind of subjects, uh, you gotta be kind of a prick. You know, you gotta really just, you can't be afraid to hurt people's feelings. You can't be, you know, and, sure. and I hate, all, and I've hated a lot of people for being like that and they have made it. Mm -hmm. And they've shut me out of their lives after being a major, major person in their lives. It happens. But that's kind of what it takes. Yeah, here's a, here's a very good example. Okay, so Jake Holmes is one of the people in Lost sure. Rockers. Uh, he's done a lot of things. Great stuff. He's a great songwriter. He's very talented. Uh, okay, he was a folk singer, okay, in the East Village, performing. Well, he started in another, you know, upstate, but anyway, he ended up in the East Village in a trio with Joan Rivers, okay? And, uh, you know, Joan Rivers couldn't carry tune in a bucket, but they're trying to make her be part of this act. You know, Jake, another guy, and Joan, right? They did get in a movie, but it just wasn't happening. And, uh, you know, they all went their different ways, and Jake was advised to do his own career. He did, he did an album. He wrote Dazed and Confused, and we all know what happened to that song. And then he worked on stuff with Harry Belafonte and Frank Sinatra and he w hit Jingle Rider, the top Jingle Rider of the 70s. He wrote the, the Dr. Pepper theme and all kinds of famous jingles. Aren't Mate, you hungry for Burger King yeah, Mate, now? Army yeah. be all you can be, like, very, like all that stuff. Very successful. He, have, he even had a, a So Close, like a top 40 hit, whatever. He had, he had a hit bubbling under in the bottom of the top 40, whatever. And But the thing is, he wasn't cut out for, for fame and he, was around a lot of people 
in the bitter end and these you know Lenny Bruce and Bill Cosby and Joan Rivers was in his band okay and Joan Rivers is someone who would walk over anyone to get famous and she did build a career and got famous and we know everybody knows who Joan Rivers was you know and uh, so there you go like two people that were right there and you know diametrically opposed in like different energies and and Jake was you know very uh, not a guy to go grab the ring and just kick someone out of the way and take it and sometimes that's what you got to do you know, hence somebody like David Bowie or people that are just like, go for it. Madonna, very driven, driven. Gene Simmons, driven, driven. And there's people that might be more talented, but if they don't have that end of it, or someone tooting their horn like a Peter Grant, or, you know, and kind of like that's what we are. We're tooting the horn sure. of all these people that are in this community, and we're saying this. Paul Zone, amazing. You don't know about him? Christian Hoffman, here he is. To, well, speaking you know. of horn tutors, one thing I did notice in your book as you're going through, and, uh, and uh, it's still new to me and I couldn't quote the names, but a lot of names pop up over and over as far as people that were putting out a lot of these people's uh, music on, yeah. like guys that had indie labels that would like yeah, yeah. go through a couple different scenes and put out a ton of really yeah, a lot of super great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Movers and Shakers is a huge part of the series. I wonder if there's a book there, like the guys yeah. behind all these uh, yeah. indie labels yeah. that sort of... You know, really good. I mean, those are guys that I think, kind of in the same thing, are more into the the actual music and the art end of it than thinking like, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money on this mm -hmm. Honeymoon Killers record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Right. They're not. Yeah, yeah. They right, must right, have right. had. If they were in business at all, they must have had sort of an awareness like, geez, maybe I can get this out, break even, and make 500 bucks. Yeah, like um, Marty Thau talking about selling like 500 records by suicide or something. Oh yeah, yeah. or even the Dolls didn't sell. The Dolls didn't sell. No, that, that was, was nobody bought it. Well, like the underground, those were records that most people, like at, of our age, that got it probably got it in the forty-five cent rack or something. The Ramones like that. didn't sell. They didn't have a hit song. They didn't have a hit record. They didn't have a hit anything until you know people started dropping off. Yeah, then, yeah, it's on KLOS Classic Rock. Hey, yeah, yeah. Well, it said like I, most people know would not would only know that song is something you chant at a like a basketball arena. Right, right. like Gary Glitter. Whatever. Yeah. They don't even know who that. That's the guy with the blue chiffon scarf and a bunch of men yeah, dancing yeah. around in skirts or whatever. Like they don't know what it's about. They just hear this. They the just song. know the thing. Yeah. It's funny uh, when we were in. Uh, actually, when I did that show up there with Cheetah, that would have been two thousand four. Okay. Right? So okay. we were in Barcelona. Me and the wife after the show taking a few days off, and we had this drinking game on the promenade. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, we got wasted. We had a drinking <laughs> game. Every time you saw someone with the CBGBs. Or a Ramon shirt, you took a drink. Wow. And if they were too young to have experienced either, two drinks. Oh, Didn't take long. Wow. Yeah, man. And this is in wow. Spain. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's it's a worldwide well, yeah, thing. Yeah, New York rock all is um, it's it's a much bigger subject than the than the totality of the bands. Yeah. So uh, kind of getting near the end here. Let let me ask you this: Where are you at with the film? Well, the film is finally done. Oh, it's and, done. Yeah, and now we're uh, working on the financing, and we should have something out within the year. Okay. And so how similar is it to the book? Like, everybody that's in the book is interviewed, or is it a different group of people? It's some different. Some of Because I know you were chasing around Simon Stokes for a minute. I don't right. know if that ever turned it Well, the problem with Simon Stokes was there's no real archive of photos and images. and Like, he didn't really have anything. You know, there wasn't... That was, like, our biggest problem with Simon, was that there's no... 
you need lots of images yeah, yeah. and stuff. Well, there's going to be a two-parter on him, I just heard, in Ugly Things. So okay. we'll see oh, what they great. pick up. No, I mean, there are, there are like, seven inches and yeah, yeah. things like that, but there's not, like, he didn't have photos and, you know, there wasn't really... He was not the best archivist of his own. Yeah, yeah. And there's just nothing really exists, you know? There's not, like, I mean, you can't... If you Googled Simon Stokes, you'll find the same four photos. I mean, know? Bobby Jameson was tough, but Simon had a lot less... You know, that, really. was, that, that was it was yeah. There's yeah. been a few people who didn't because we couldn't didn't lend themselves to the we, visual. Yeah, aspect. We, yeah, we couldn't do it without it. It was hard to build that the whole thing sense. compared to like the amounts the other people. Had. Was there someone you added into the movie that ha wasn't in the book because of those reasons? There's more people in the book. First of all, yeah, okay. the book has uh, 19 interviews. Yeah, and there's six, eight characters in the it's film. Like, yeah, well, nine really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so, you know, so there, there you go, and um, and one. Yeah, so so it's uh, so that's basically the difference, and uh, I kind of see it as an expanding subject. I would love this to be a uh, TV series. Could be a series or, easily. You know, and people have come forth obviously since they hear about this and like, how about this? Ben? Oh yeah, of course. It's you know, we when we started working on this, like, what is this? Like, it's defining. It took what, a long time. What to is Lost Rocker? What is it? Yeah. Well, you know, people that's super talented, they might add a hit. You know something about them, but you don't really know who they are or everything about them. Like, oh, I kind of know them. What was their story? Like, and they're deep. Why aren't they more well known? Gloria mm -hmm. Jones wrote a hundred hit songs for Motown. She sang on every record before she was even in T Rex. She was at Hair. She was. You know, just, just sang on Sweet Home Alabama. He sang on Nutbush City Limits, and Mark Boland played guitar on Nutbush City yeah, Limits. That's right. Yeah. You know, a lot and of that's people. That's Gloria. Yeah, Gloria Jones. So you know, it's, these people are—it's their lifestyle, and most of them are still doing music or something associated. It's their lifestyle. You know, they're still. Wow. And uh, and one thing I will say is that a lot of people, since we started working with them, every time we see them, they look better. They're better. They're doing more. They're get back into it, and that's great. And the yeah. people oh, that are is playing cool. yeah. again. It's yeah, a few really of these nice. people look near death, and now like look robust. And I can't say that I had so much to do with it, but I think I had a little bit to do it with it. It doesn't hurt, you They've, know. It's having someone give you a boost and say, "Hey, yeah. you, you did a good job. Let's make more people They've aware of us." And we, well, and, and it's and a we, big deal. We respect these people. We're not making light of any of this stuff. Like you know, it's like we're looking at this like. I mean, Bobby Jameson died almost two years ago. Yeah. Is it two years ago? Yeah, we're just going to go spread his ashes this week. And then his family was like, well, we've been waiting for you. Yeah, yeah, for two like, years. Like, in other words, we're like... You're the part of the family. We're part yeah. of the family. In the last few uh, months of Bobby's life, it, we, we became friends with his family. He was, like, open to us and welcomed us in his home a number of times. And I was always in touch with him. He loved what we were doing. And anyway, so, you know, last few months of his life has brother died, his mother died, and he died in the last like, very short time. There's one brother left, and we're going to go spread his ashes. It's an honor to do and you know, the of guy course. like family to us. And that's up in Morro Bay, and then you're going, you have another book reading in San right. Francisco, right? It's right? the, the Saturday, next, next a week from today, okay. at uh, Green Apple Books. In well, that'll be, that'll be amazing. Yes, and I was told that uh, the promoter was t telling us that East Bay Ray will be there. So, oh great! Yeah, yeah, so right that's, on. Uh, All right. That's, that's our San Francisco pub credibility. Sure, there you go. And, this, and a few of our friends from Faith No More and whatnot will be there. Oh, that's so. terrific! Yeah. Really cool. And you know, it's like uh, all these people do like run together, and a lot of things intersect, and it keeps getting pulled tight. And we're trying to open it up more. We're not telling people like we're these cool elitists. You know, we're, come on, you're part of this. Here's this whole scene, and you know, it is opening up more. And it's we're gonna blow it open. We're yeah. just like and, and I'm so really hard. excited about the the writing about the music of, of this region because yeah 
even more so, uh, at a, there's this other level that I like about it too, is that what I really love about California, Southern California in particular, is that it really embraces its own and it really like champions its art and its music and, and is really into it. You know, New York could be like a little standoffish, like mm -hmm. oh, I'm a little too cool, like I'm guilty of it. I mean, so I, I know it. Um, I, I think those know. are kind of traits of the people growing up in either of those places, yeah, no yeah. matter what you're into. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. You know? I mean, it's hard for us to like, you know, we're New Yorkers and we, our version of what we think California is. And, you know, that's, some of that's being blown apart too. And, it goes both ways. You yeah, know, yeah. we're trying to learn about it and, you know, just open it all up. And, uh, you know, we, we, we really respect all these people and it's really great to be able to work with like the best of the best people and they get something out of this too. It's like, it's we're not like using people. It's, it's come on, celebrate this. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I figured out <clears throat> that I've been to well over a hundred shows in Los Angeles. And um, and certainly when I ran my magazine, it was really tilted toward LA bands for a New York magazine. You were always very good to the crew, Triple uh, X. That's for mm -hmm. damn sure. All we right. always appreciated that. <laughs> All right, fellas, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank Thanks. you so much. Uh, you, you guys got so much happening. I'm sure you'll be back out and back on. We'd love to do it. This is okay, a great, great wrap. Terrific. Thanks we so loved much. It. All Thank right, you. man. Say good night, boys. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Tone Duff Sessions, a feature of Rare Bird Radio. Join us in two weeks when our guest will be independent filmmaker Anna Biller, director of The Love Witch.